0: Welcome to Faith and Culture Now. Today, my guest is Rodney Pettit, Jr. Rodney, it's good to have you here. So, Great to be here, Dr. Sheffers. So, I am really excited to have you here because you were a student of mine here a few years ago. That's good. And uh, I really enjoyed having you in class. Uh, I would ask you guys to think about uh, what I thought were good, pertinent uh, topics, and and, uh, you seem to think about them on a a very good, critical level, and... uh, I knew that uh, through the efforts you put forth in class that you were a good thinker and that uh, you really had a good head on your shoulders for a lot of good cultural issues and cultural discussions. And so uh, I invited you here today because we're going to be talking about the issue of racism and uh, how it affects both American culture and how it affects churches in America. And so thanks for being here. grateful to be here. So uh, we'll begin by discussing a little bit about just what the Bible has to say about racism. So uh, I'll begin by asking what are uh,
1: some of your thoughts on what Scripture teaches about that topic? Well, Scripture speaks against racism. Mm -hmm. Uh, You look at Paul in Galatians. He talks about there not being a dichotomy between Jew, Greek, male, female. But we are all one in Christ. Yeah. So uh, when you look at racism and what the Bible says about racism, it speaks against it. Yeah. Every time
0: you look at how, uh, or you know, when you look at the cross, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul's context is. He's talking about when Jesus shed His blood; His blood was shed equally.
1: Yes. For everyone. That's right. So. And uh, that's where we start. Yeah. Christ tore down the wall that divided us all. He tore down everything that uh, brought a breach between anybody and humanity Mm -hmm. and he restored us. He brought us all back together in him. Yeah very good. There are some people that would say well the Old Testament seems to suggest that
0: there is racism because of say the conquest of Joshua or other things of that nature but I think it's important to recognize Everything about that in the Old Testament is based on worship of Yahweh, not on ethnicity. And so, uh, when Joshua's troops go to Jericho, uh, where the Canaanites are living, uh, you have Rahab, the, uh, the prostitute, living there. She hides the spies, and she and her family are saved. And not only are they saved, but when you look at the genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament, She's in the genealogy. She's there. You also have Bathsheba in the genealogy of Christ, and she is also not ethnically an Israelite. Mm -hmm. And so um, there are verses in the Old Testament that talk about not marrying uh, people of other faiths uh, or other, other ethnic groups, but the reason you don't marry them is because they are worshiping different gods. Correct. And so God's message in the Old Testament is not that he's against interracial marriage or anything like that. It's specifically that you are not to be marrying people who worship other gods because they will turn your heart away from the true God. And um, you see the ramifications in Scripture all throughout the Old Testament where when people do intermarry then their children tend to not follow the same faith. And so uh, it's, it's all centered around faith not centered around
1: ethnicity. I agree with that. I agree with that. But what I will add is when you look at scripture Mm -hmm. and you see you have to we have to understand that the Hebrews, uh, the 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 scriptures that we have are is the history of the Hebrews. Right. And so they are telling the story from their vantage point. Mm So when you hear the Hebrews saying things like, we are God's chosen people, mm-hmm. that's from their vantage point. Exactly. And so this is how we can see why the Hebrews would think that God would want would want them to destroy other people. Mm-hmm. Because they saw themselves as God's chosen people, which creates uh, racism within even uh, the Jews or in our scripture. Mm-hmm. But what we see in Christ, what we see uh, even in the Old Testament, like you mentioned about Rahab being mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. That was not God's perspective. And we have to make a dichotomy between God's perspective and man's perspective. Mm-hmm, exactly.
0: And when you get to the New Testament, you see Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're asking him, who's my neighbor? And yes. he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Samaritans uh, were people who were ethnically Jewish, but then they, uh, at the time of the exile, they did not uh, leave the promised land. They intermarried with other ethnic groups, mm-hmm. and they rejected part of the books that were canonized in the Old Testament. Uh, but these Samaritan people, uh, by the time that Jesus is, is living, which has been another you know thousand years or so since the exile, um, they are they are now despised by the Jews who have become in a sense quite racist Mm -hmm. and uh, Jesus says these people that look like traitors of your own nation they're your neighbors and um, in another instance Jesus is uh, going through this land in this area and he stops to drink from this well and you have this woman who is again a Samaritan a person the Jews would despise and he talks to her and shows her Uh, respect and despite the fact that she's living in sin he's respectful towards her and he gives her what she needs to know about salvation that's right and so he's very interested in breaking down these these barriers of racism that has existed by that
1: point in history that's right and that is the pattern Mm -hmm. that we should follow if we are to be truly Christ followers yeah
0: certainly so with that in mind, what are some uh, what are some of the significant issues of racism that we deal with in our country today, from your perspective?
1: Uh, from a uh, governmental standpoint, we deal with we deal with racism as it relates uh, to politics. Mm-hmm. How uh, even uh, money is funnelled down. Mm-hmm. When you see the invention of ghettos, this is because one area is has been deprived while while other areas have been focused on, mm-hmm. and um, that is a that is a great problem because oftentimes the people uh, who we see affected are targeted people. It's mm-hmm. a certain race of people who have been targeted. Uh, so a lot of times you see in our our ghettos you see mainly uh, black people and you see. Uh, Hispanic people, people of color, Mm -hmm. you see them in ghettos. While we have uh, Caucasians, we have white people, we have Jews, we have these um, other ethnicities operating in spaces where it it seems like um, their needs are met and Mm -hmm. they're able to live in affluence, they're able to live in comfort, Mm -hmm. while other races, uh, blacks, uh, Hispanics, are living in areas where they are just surviving. Mm -hmm. Now, there's not a fun problem there is a heart problem mm-hmm. because we have the money to make sure that everybody is taken care of and everybody's needs are met but our heart is not there. Mm-hmm. We want to always create this environment where one race or one group of people are superior to the others. Whether we speak it out loud or not, it is it's how we function. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that speaks to Uh, sort of this
0: idea of, uh, philosophically, ethnocentrism, Mm -hmm. where people assume that their own group is the most valued group. And so people want their group to be valued the most. Mm -hmm. But as a result of that, even inadvertently sometimes, they tend to devalue other groups. And uh, when you have a lot of people with influence who fit one description, it's easy to neglect other descriptions of, of people, right.
1: if you will. No, no, it's, you're absolutely right. That's why I believe that we should be very critical of the people that we put in office. Mm-hmm. We should make sure that uh, we have people uh, in office who truly believe in justice. Mm-hmm. That's what made yeah. that's what made David so successful, because David was a just man. He was, and I think the issue of justice
0: is is a huge. Part of racism in our country right, right. now. Uh, if you look at, you know, one of the things that I've been outspoken about is that I'm against the death penalty. And I know scripture says, but if you take a life, your life can be forfeited. And I get that. But at the same time, I look at our justice system, and I see that nearly one-third of the people put to death are later exonerated. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, that's not justice. That's, you're, you're, you're putting people to death who are innocent. And if we really value life, we can't be putting innocent people to death. And so that's where I, my basis for that comes from. But then I start looking at it more and realize that of those people that are exonerated, more often than not, they're African-American. Uh, and when I say more often than not, I mean like over
1: 65% of the time they're exonerated, they're African-American. Yes, and our prison industrial system is occupied by young, black people Mm -hmm. and this you have to we have to understand that this is all of this is anti-christian because like you said if you look at the Bible Jesus said I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly not just for white people Mm -hmm. but for all people and so if you are a Christian you must be pro life for everybody that's right not just your group not just for the people who are who meet your preference but for all people and so, yes, you're right. When you, when you see our uh, death penalty being uh, enacted upon people of color more. Why is that? Mm-hmm. What is going on inside of our hearts that will allow us to be able to see someone who's innocent? In the same way, when we look at Scripture and we see that Jesus was innocent, but the people said, give us Barabbas. Exactly. If, if yeah. we feel like that, wow. Why would you do that? You, we're doing this today. Mm-hmm. When we, whenever we uh, put people who are innocent to death, no matter what color they are, but right now we're talking about people of color. Mm-hmm. If you put black people to death and they're innocent, what does that
0: say about your heart? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we look at scripture. Uh, you're saying with the Barabbas instance, you know, we look at scripture and there's all kinds of issues in the Bible where we see people make foolish, dumb decisions, yes. sinful decisions, wicked decisions. And we go, why in the world did they do that? What were they thinking? And then we look at our own lives and realize, oh, no, they're just a reflection of us. Correct. You know, every one of these stories about people choosing the wrong in the Bible somehow reflects on who we are as sinful people. Because we're all sinful, and we all have a sin problem.
1: We all have a sin problem, and this is where I believe as true Christians, because I separate those who are true Christians from those who are false. There's always going to be a remedy. Mm-hmm. So, real Christians... Can't be silent. Mm-hmm. That's why I appreciate you so much, because if the light of Christ is within you, you can't be silent. Whenever you see injustice, you have to speak out. Yeah. And so, like when you look at uh, the prison industrial system, or when you look at uh, racial profiling as, mm-hmm. as it relates to police. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have uh, in in our city uh, J- Jordan Edwards, mm-hmm. um, a young mm-hmm. man who was killed in Mesquite, Texas. Mm-hmm. I went to. Uh, the prayer vigil, and I prayed for the young people who were there. The, these young people were distraught mm-hmm. because this young man—I mean, he's—he's—he's he's a, he's a teenager. Mm-hmm. He hasn't even lived his life yet. Was at a, a party enjoying himself. Police killed him. Um, you have to ask, what will cause you to kill someone? This is a teenager, so mm-hmm. uh, automatically, even if he was wrong, he's mm-hmm. a teenager. You—you you have. Authority to tell him, hey, this is not something that you should be doing. Stop. Mm-hmm. And if he would listen to you, there are other measures that you could have t- taken to prevent the problem. But to see no value in the life, and the reason why I say you see no value in the life because you took the life. Right. When, whatever you value, you 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 you're going to place importance on it. And mm-hmm. when you see racial profiling and people killing people of of, of um, African descent that's saying that you do not value the life. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that, you're silent about those lives, but when you see uh, our boys in blue, when you see policemen being killed, Mm -hmm. now we have something to talk about. Mm -hmm. That's not Christian.
0: Right, it's gotta be a both
1: and. I mean, there's a lot of great police
0: officers who are doing the right thing for the right reason, um, and then there's those that don't. And uh, in, in the same way, in the same respect, uh, you have innocent people who are wrongfully accused and mistreated, and then you have people who are rightfully accused. Correct. And, and so, uh, you know, obviously every single situation is important in and of itself. Um, when it comes to looking at issues of injustice within the, uh, you know, within you know the the police system, uh, you do see a lot of a lot more stops being made of people of color, and uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you have more people of cover, color living in poverty. Correct. And that's important uh, to recognize because when people are living in poverty, they tend to be looked upon more uh, with a more scrutinizing eye uh, so as to see if, well, are they doing something wrong? Why are they in this situation? Well, they may just be in that situation because that's the product of all the, you know, the hand that life has dealt them at this point,
1: you know, really. Well, uh, well, I would say the hand that America has dealt them. Sure. Because if you are a targeted people, so like if the the ghettos were created for you, Mm -hmm. then that is, you you are being targeted. There are a whole lot of African-Americans who are highly intelligent Mm -hmm. that uh, if they go in for a job, they will be looked over while uh, a, a white Caucasian uh, if they go in for the same job don't have the same credentials mm-hmm. but because of uh, the color they mm-hmm. will get the job that they're not even qualified for and it's an unspoken language mm-hmm. uh, and, th- and that is the type of things that's going on in our in our yeah. government and our culture well that gets
0: into the whole idea of education too you have a lot more people who are not minorities getting master's degrees so then this person with the master's degree who has no experience sometimes get the job that someone with 20 years of experience has uh, or it doesn't get because they don't have the piece of paper right. but they you know maybe grew up in a poor area whatever the reason is they didn't have the means or the funds possibly to go get that education but even more importantly people that grow up in ghettos are typically conditioned to like the ghetto and so you know you can go well why don't these people just get out of it mm-hmm. well it's not that simple it's not that easy if you're conditioned your whole life to think this is my lot in life, this is where I'm supposed to be, this is how I'm supposed to live. You can't just turn that off and go, I'm done, I'm going to
1: get out of this and do better. Correct. And that's why that is so strategic. Mm-hmm. Because if I put you in a place and I put you in an environment, you will become one with the environment. And that was my plan from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I've, you know, my goal, I want to go into a community and erase the ghetto, mm-hmm. reform people, not just come in and, and put programs, reform people. Mm-hmm. This, is what, this is what Christianity is all about, transforming people. That's Jesus right. came to give people new life. But what we have been doing is saying, okay, I see this brother over here. It seems like they like, they like that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. What about your life? Mm-hmm. What about the fact that Jesus says he wants you to work so that when people see your light, they will turn around and say, I'm going to glorify God because I know that the only reason why you're able to do that is because God is living through you. Mm-hmm. And if you leave a place, a person in a, in a place that is uh, subpar, uh, the standard is low, and they have no light, they have no way of seeing something beyond that, of course, You are a product of your environment. You are a product of what you've always seen. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do is the same thing that Jesus did. Tear down the walls. Mm -hmm. That's right,
0: and uh, there's a sociologist that has been a a big influence for me. His name is Michael Lindsay. Mm -hmm. And uh, Michael Lindsay wrote a book called Faith in the Halls of Power. Mm -hmm. And in that book, he talks about two kinds of Christians. And um, one of the kinds of Christians he talks about are what he calls cosmopolitan Christians. And um, he says those are the Christians that when they look at the world around them, they think, what can we do to make this better? Mm. But not just better for us, what can we do to make this better for everybody? And his conclusion is that the Christians who were only interested in going, what can we do around our community to make us better, Um, are, you know, not necessarily, he's not saying they're not Christians, but what he is saying is, Uh, that uh, these people aren't really doing what's best for society, and because of that they're not really doing what's best for the gospel. And his conclusion is that these cosmopolitan Christians, those people who are doing what's best for everybody around them, they're the ones that are really making a difference because they're the ones doing a better job of bringing God's kingdom and God's
1: goodness and God's blessings to everyone around them. Correct, and that's how we have to be. What does the scripture say about God? God reigns on the just as well as the unjust. That's right. That's but he exactly. favors those who follow him. Mm-hmm. That is the difference. God favors those who follow him, but he reigns, he's, he's equal. God is not gonna look at those who even do things that are totally against him mm-hmm. and turn his back on them. And so if we are to mirror God, if we are to be his image, that those are the characteristics that we see in God that also we should see in ourselves. What are
0: some things you think the church can do to help combat racism in our society?
1: First of all, (laughs) I think that what we should do is first of all, understand that we are the bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so what comes from us should be what has been set in order by Christ. That's right. That's the first thing. Uh, Second thing is when you see, uh, when the church begun, you remember uh, in Acts, uh, when the people start coming to the, uh, the apostles and asking them, you know, hey, our widows are being overlooked. Mm-hmm. You had the, uh, you had the uh, Greek-speaking Jews and you had the, those Jews who were in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, the, the, the widows who were from the Greek-speaking uh, Jews were being mistreated. Mm-hmm. The apostles said, okay, we see what's going on here. Our job is to preach and to pray. Mm -hmm. But I want you to look among yourselves Mm -hmm. and find seven men of good report that you know, watch this, that will enact justice, that will take care of everybody equally. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that the church needs to do is follow the model of the Bible and to say, we want to lift up men who believe in justice. Mm -hmm. We've got to find those kind of men. We've got to find those kind of women that will enact justice, that will treat every one of God's children. Equally. That's right. And the, you know, the, the, the
0: model there is, look, look we have a problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's figure out some people that are going to be well-equipped to solve that problem and then let them tackle that. That's right. And so um, when it comes to our society today, when we see problems, it's easy to go, well, I don't really understand that, so I'm just going to back away. Well, that's not the right answer because then the problem persists. So what we do is we go, okay, well, maybe you're not the best person to tackle that problem, but what can you do to help give people what they need in order for them to tackle that problem? You know, um, When we look at our churches and our communities, you know, a lot of times churches go, hey, we want to attract this kind of person. But what they don't always do is go, here are the kinds of people that border our church. What can we do to reach all of the different kinds of people that within, live within... This distance from our building, because that should be our focus. That should be our audience. Right. And if you live in an area that's got a lot of need, then your church should do something to meet that need. Whether it be divorce care, or uh, you know, after-school program, or whether it be um, you know, teaching English. You know, whatever the case may be. If that's the kind of people that border
1: your church, that's what you should be doing to reach those people. Exactly. Uh, But our problem has been we have fulfilled the old adage birds of a feather flock together. Yes, we have too often Mm -hmm. So when you look at our our church Okay, we are the church of Jesus Christ and so First of all we have to tear down this whole image of a white Jesus Mm -hmm. And we have to uplift the Jesus of all humanity. That's right. Tear down the white Jesus, tear down the black Jesus, and lift up the mm-hmm. Jesus for all humanity. Yeah. Then when you see what Jesus says, what Jesus said, if any man shall come after me, he must first deny himself. Mm-hmm. See, what, what we do a lot of times is we attract our preference. Mm-hmm. Instead of moving by the Spirit of God, we attract our preference. So what Jesus says is first of all, all of us have a preference. Mm-hmm. Start with that. Sure. You, you have to be totally honest. All of us have a preference. But does Jesus have a preference? Does God have a preference? That's why Jesus says, "Okay, I know what's inside of you. Mm-hmm. Discard what's inside of you and follow me." That is the only way we can bring unity in the body of Christ. Exactly, and
0: uh, sort of moving on from that, um, you know, one of my other questions for you is going to be, "What can we do to help combat racism in the church?" You know, I think a lot of times people say about you know say of themselves, "Well, I'm not racist," and you know, uh, at least not overtly racist right but everybody does have like you're saying presuppositions and they have uh you know they're inclined to people who are like them and so what we find is that you know even in the baptist denomination which you know we're baptists here so um you have black baptist churches you have white baptist churches you have hispanic baptist churches you have asian baptist churches and you have all these different groups that are sort of self-segregated And some of that's because, well, this church was, you know, it was planted in a ghetto and that's, you know, the people that that are at that church are the people directly around it. But then you have other churches that, you know, live in urban areas where you have within a two-mile radius 20 different races of people, but you only have one race at the church. Mm -hmm. And that's where it becomes a big problem uh, because it's almost like
1: groups, entire groups of people are being ignored. I believe you're right, and I believe one of the ways we can combat that is diversifying our leadership. Mm -hmm. See, we have to take on a new model of leadership, which means there can't be just one person at the top. Mm -hmm. We have to diversify the leadership. So, like, you you go into a community, right, where at one point it was predominantly white. Mm -hmm. Instead of leaving that community, diversify your leadership. Mm -hmm. Bring in a a pastor who's Hispanic. Bring in a a pastor who's African American. And everybody labor together. See, because in a lot of our churches, a lot of our churches are not mega churches. Mm -hmm. So if you have a diverse uh, community, say you have a church on one side, the black uh, Baptist church, that church has 50 members. Mm -hmm. You have the white Baptist church, that church has 50 members. Mm -hmm. The Hispanic church has 50 members and that church is right within like a five mile radius. Mm -hmm. Why can't we all come together Sure, and make something beautiful? Yeah
0: and you know I mean typically you know there's a lot of churches that are under 200 people and that's not necessarily a bad thing because smaller congregations do get more Mm close-knit but at the same time if you're trying to pay the bills the smaller the congregation the more difficult it is to keep your doors open and so um you know, if you've got say, you know, three churches with under a hundred people in a five-mile radius, that could easily combine and have one church of you know, hundred and fifty people. Well, that's still small enough that uh, you can be a very close knit church, and you can be diversified in the whole community. Correct. So I think that uh, it's also interesting. You know, you'll see a church that goes, okay, look, we see that there's a need to reach these kind of people here, so we're going to do that. But there's nobody of that ethnicity in the church to help lead that initiative. And um, you know if, if I was going to start a ministry to women, it would not go well. Mm-hmm. Because I can't think like a woman, right. and I can't know how to meet women's needs the way that other women can. right? So you don't typically see in any church, no matter what the ethnicity is, you don't really see men leading women's ministry. It just doesn't work that way. That's correct. At the same time, you don't really see women leading men's ministries, um, because you have to have some kind of foot in the door. You have to have some kind of experience. You have to be able to relate to the people somehow, on a personal level, in order right. to reach the people. And so, if you're go, if you're going, hey, we're going to start this Hispanic ministry and reach this Hispanic culture over here, but you don't have any Hispanic leaders in that ministry. How can you know what the best way to reach those people is if you don't have anyone who's experientially in that category? Right. You can't know. Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. can't know. So, yeah. Well, uh, what, are, what are any other thoughts you might have on, on the issue of, of racism in our churches and our culture that uh, may be worth talking about to you today?
1: Well, one of the things um, we should do is be intentional mm-hmm. about uniting and uniting with a pure heart mm-hmm. uh, because the, like I said the Church of Jesus Christ is not a, a black church it's not a white church it's a church for all humanity and we have to be strategic about that mm-hmm. because this American construct has bled into the church mm-hmm. and um, and God called us out of the world and so our our job as a church is to reflect christ's in the earth mm-hmm. and the church has to be the reflection of Christ in the earth and so if our government is producing racism and injustice and bigotry the church should be against that mm-hmm. not just the black church and a lot of times what happens is there's that got dichotomy mm-hmm. so like we have prominent pastors mm-hmm. who are for uh, Donald Trump our president mm-hmm. and Donald Trump uh, fuels racism and um, what I believe the church should do and be intentional about doing is standing up for what's right. Mm -hmm. If it causes a breach between you and your brother, whatever it is, you should not do it. Mm -hmm. Our job is always to be Christ in the earth. If the president is wrong, he's wrong. Mm -hmm. Our job as as a Christian community is to speak the truth. Very
0: much so. And uh, you know, I think when it comes to political power, when it comes to education, especially grade school education, uh, you know, we as Christians should be going, no, everybody deserves the opportunity to get that education. Okay. Everybody deserves the opportunity to have put before them uh, what they need to become successful adults who contribute to society on the whole. That's correct. And uh, when it comes to our churches, we really don't need to separate and segregate just because we want to be with people that are like us. Instead, our focus should be on we want to glorify God where we're at, and in doing that, we want to reach whoever is around us. You know, um, I'm not saying that it's wrong to be in a church that's primarily one race or the other, but at the same time, if the church is in an area, especially in an area where there's a lot of other races, it would be really great to see more desegregation inside the walls of the church in those areas and when it comes to how we should as Christians uh, deal with racism in the church you know we have to recognize that it is there it does exist and just like any other sin if we find ourselves committing that sin we need to repent of that that's right and we need to ask for God's forgiveness and we need to ask for the forgiveness of those people we've wronged and then what we need to do moving forward is put steps in place
1: to make sure that we don't get back into that same pattern. That's, that's correct. I agree wholeheartedly with that. The first thing, it must be confession that, you know, I'm wrong. And from that confession, move to repentance, mm-hmm. then st- steps to repair or not just repair. I believe what God wants us to do is to create something totally new. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think in, in creating
0: something new, I mean, I think we need to be more open to doing uh, inter-congregational fellowship where we build relationships with people of other congregations who may be of different ethnicities. Um, the church that I belong to uh, does have um, a Hispanic uh, congregation that also meets in our building. And uh, it's, it's, what, it's a congregation that actually does Spanish services. So um, the worship services are in Spanish, and then we have our English worship services. But there are several times throughout the year that we have fellowships where both groups of people meet together, eat together, have worship together. Uh, we have where you know somebody prays in Spanish, somebody prays in English, uh, and then you have somebody speaks in Spanish, somebody speaks in English, and so on, uh, where it allows us to sort of bridge that gap a little bit. Um, and anytime we can do stuff with other groups of people in our areas, especially for the cause of Christ and for the sake of our community, I think we should be all for doing that. You know, if three or four churches of different ethnic groups can get together and go, hey, we're going to start this program to help get kids off the street, or we're going to start this program to help minister to people who are starving, or we're going to get, you know, this program together so that all the people in this part of town who, you know, barely have enough money to pay their bills and don't have any new clothes can have something nice to wear great work together and do that and uh, oftentimes in our churches where we have congregations that go we're just going to do our own thing you end up with something that is not fully functional and that is just hanging by a thread to keep going and if we would just go you know what we're just going to work together next thing you know you have something that's fully functional and thriving not just hanging on because you've got several groups of believers working together to make it happen
1: yes that is powerful and you know what i believe we should look at if we truly believe that all humanity was created in the image of god Mm -hmm. like if that is truly our belief whenever you alienate yourself from one group of people you are choosing not to know one side of god Mm -hmm. that you have the possibility of knowing if you will come together
0: sure That makes sense. So, uh, all in all, sort of closing this up, uh, it's important for churches to recognize that racism exists. It exists in our country. It exists in our churches. And as Christians who desire to follow Christ, we want to, as Christians in following Christ, we want to take up our cross, and we want to do what's right to honor God, to live within His will, and to share His kingdom with the world. And part of sharing his kingdom with the world is standing up to injustice. One particular injustice is racism. There are plenty others, and uh, you don't sort of get to pick and choose. I mean, as a Christian, injustice is injustice and it's wrong, and you have to take a stand against it because you love people. And you love people because you love God. Correct. So um, that's more or less, I guess, a, a brief introductory discussion on racism in the church, so... Rodney, thanks
1: so much for being here today. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So, thank you, and we'll see you next time.